calling all baby faces and heels alike. Welcome to the Working Fans Podcast, your place for all things comedy, combat, and wrestling. Reach out to us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Just search Working Fans Podcast. Or you can email us at workingfanswrestlingpod at gmail.com. If you're an audio listener, we encourage you to check out our YouTube. Wherever you listen, please make sure you like, rate, review, and subscribe. But for now, please enjoy this episode of the Working Fans Podcast. All right, everybody, it's the Working Fans Podcast. It's the man they call James, AJ Strange Brew, buried in his notes right there, because I made him wait, and I'm sorry about that. But we are here. We're live. We're ready to kick things off. But not the biggest list in the world. Me and AJ were talking about this before. So today's subject is Thanksgiving wrestling cards and your favorite Thanksgiving wrestling cards. We got maybe like only four or five responses. And, you know, people are busy right now this time of year. But also, we and AJ were talking about this, like the Thanksgiving wrestling card is kind of a lost art. Like, if I just send out these, like, we're your top five Thanksgiving wrestling cards, some people are going to be like, there was wrestling on Thanksgiving? Uh, you know, like, some of our fans are more hardcore to get it, but, like, I almost worded this for people, like, what are your top five Survivor Series and any other Thanksgiving wrestling cards? So because, one, of the re- one, of the reasons it, no, one of the reasons it became tough to actually do it was the invention of pay-per-views. The problem with pay-per-views is, is you had to schedule it down ahead of time, and mostly it's scheduled on Saturdays or Sundays. Thanksgiving does not always cooperate. It's on a Thursday, and unfortunately, it's a rotating date each year. So it became difficult with the cable companies and with the pay-per-view providers to say, hey, open up Thursdays for for us we're going to do a pay-per-view on a thursday night right and the thing about it is too right if you go back to that a lot of these cards are like big arena business for like you know texas was a great territory that would have like events on like you know thanksgiving and christmas yeah. that was a big thing yeah their and, star wars actually went back and forth between christmas and thanksgiving yeah there, mm-hmm. uh, it was primarily on Christmas, but it, it became an event where people would get up early in the morning, undo the gifts with the kids, get in the car, drive out to Dallas and the stadium and watch Star Wars. Absolutely. And like George South, former guest of the show, has talked about this before too, that he has been on a wrestling card, I think he said for like the last 30 something years, he always gets on a Christmas card because it's just what he's used to. He likes working the matches on Christmas. I thought he said he always gets paid in Christmas cards. <laughs> yeah, well, George's a little different. I remember George had that story where he talked about, you know, he had that conversation with Kane, Glenn Jacobs. Yeah. And he's like telling Kane, I miss the old days when we worked every day, Kane. I miss the old days when we worked holidays nonstop. I want to do it all the time, every day. And I guess Kane just looked at him, George, the rest of us don't miss that. <laughs> we don't want to do that no more. <laughs> so, you know. Uh, not everybody could be like good old George, you know, former guest of the show. I'm going to start off with my list. Go a little uh, oh, different. Oh, wait. Before we do that, I just want to say a quick congratulations to Rob Van Dam and Katie Forbes. They actually tied the knot this week in Las Vegas. We've talked a lot on this show about concussion protocol and how serious concussions are. And Rob Van Dam in his lifetime suffered a lot of concussions and Katie Forbes was very instrumental in helping him get over his concussions. And I just wanted to say congratulations to that couple. Sorry, go ahead. So as of this recording, Rob Van Dam and Katie Forbes got married. That's pretty cool. Breaking news. Won't be breaking by the time you get this, but (laughs) that's all right. You know, we got it breaking. So I want to start off. I got Survivor Series 87. That's the very first ever Survivor Series. I was mesmerized at the idea of Hulk Hogan having this dream team going up against Andre the Giant and Bobby Heenan's family. But you had Andre on one team. One of the worst wrestling cards of all time. And the one-man gang. Like, <laughs> that's not even the rest of that team. I'm blanking out, but it's like Bundy, the gang, and Andre all on the same team. Tremendous. Go, Hogan had go, Bam Bam Bigelow. So go, for me, go back and watch the match and see how you like it. <laughs> I won't. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so many big guys in that match. And as a kid, I just really marked out for that. You know, Because as a kid, I love all the big guys. You know? Now, I also got the next ones just to be a little... I got Survivor Series 90 and 91. The significance of that is 90 was when The Undertaker came back, or debuted, I should say. That was Hartford, Connecticut. He beat up Dusty Rhodes in that match. And, you know, basically, he eliminated everybody but Bret Hart, I want to say. Yeah. Uh, I got down to Bret Hart and Ted DiBiase, and Bret had a really good accountant for himself. You know, he was mostly a tag wrestler at that point. Because Bret's... I don't know, it was Bret's brother? 
or his nephew, a dean, I want to say, had passed away the night before. And Ted DiBiase knew about this and wanted to give Brett some offense and, you know, make him look good in this match. So. Yeah, that worked out well for Ted's career. <laughs> well, Ted was almost on the way out at that point. I don't think those were really connected. <laughs> we don't need to take a shot at Ted. Try to get him on the show. Ted, answer your emails, buddy. <laughs> uh, he's a little busy right now uh, yeah, with busy. the tax problems down there in Louisiana. So, And then besides that, I got Survivor Series 91. Shocking to me, Undertaker ends up taking the belt from Hulk Hogan. This was really unheard of at that point because... Hogan had really only lost the belt. This is what Hogan's going to be his third reign when he wins some take. So he won it back from Savage, but he had lost it to Andre. And so, and it was like the two referees and everything. So nobody had just really beaten Hogan. You know, Andre was like. Well, and, in, fa- in fairness, he, he did give him a tombstone pile driver on that deadly chair that Flair slid into the ring. And, and afterwards, from all reports, he almost killed Hogan with the deadliness of that tombstone. Yes. So <laughs> there's a story behind that. So we'll get to that. So to me, it was just a crazy moment. Hogan didn't drop the belt off. And, and I didn't know. I thought he was going to have it for another four or five years. But let me, I'm also going to throw Starcade 84 in there. That is with Rhodes and Flair. And Joe Frazier, how much better was Joe Frazier than Gene Kaniski? <laughs> I mean, with this podcast, no, I am not a big fan of Gene Kaniski's referee. When, when, you, when you don't go into business for yourself like Gene Kaniski, you do, you do much better. I'm also going to put in, actually... <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry. We should say the late horrible Gene Kaniski. In fact... Hold on one second, because I want to get this right, because I'm changing my next pick, because I'll just do it to pop you. Well, well you can. You're the first one going, so nobody's going to know if you... <laughs> I believe this is the card. Oh, man. I want to say it's Starcade 87. Nope, that's the one where Flair actually beat Ronnie Garvin for the title. Yes. 87 ah. is versus Ronnie Garvin. Oh, okay. So my next favorite star came would be Ric Flair and Lex Luger, 1988. This is yeah. the finish that actually pissed which off is, the which is the, fans. Which is actually the first one not to happen actually on Thanksgiving. Yeah, well, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Hey, yeah, so this was the basically, there was blood, like a trickle of blood on Luger's head. It looked like he, cut, it looked like he could have cut himself shaving. Right, basically ready to submit, and yeah, basically they had to call it because Baltimore Commission, we can't allow blood. So the, the funny thing, the funny thing is, the Baltimore Athletic Commission really is like that, and right. that little trickle of blood really would shut the match down. And absolutely insane. The reason why it was a little trickle of blood too was because Luger, we've heard on another recent podcast, did not like blading. He was not used to <laughs> blading or that. So, which I say that people did volunteer to help him. <laughs> it's true but i say that because go back to what we were talking earlier you were kind of interjecting some real life stuff there we we're talking about that hogan undertaker 91 that was so the finish was as aj pointed out flair slid the chair into the ring and taker does a tombstone power driver on hogan and by all accounts basically hogan went back and complained about his neck and tried to say the taker you know dropped him and didn't really know what he was doing and dropped him on his head Except for you could clearly see and Taker nowhere, was super nowhere safe near with him. the chair. And nowhere near the chair. And of course Taker was gonna be safe with him because Taker is brand new in the business at this time, only a few years. He's getting the push of a lifetime. He's getting the belt against Hulk Hogan. And it's not like he's going to be reckless. The last thing he wanted to do was go back to after the team with a skyscraper. So yeah. <laughs> All right, I'm going to read off some lists, and then we'll get to your list last. I got Jesse from New Hampshire. He's got Survivor Series 91, Survivor Series 92, Survivor Series 2001, 2002, Starcade 83, and Starcade 84. Jake Rule. Again, the Jake Rule is always in effect. I'm going to go right next to Randy after this. we got Star- Survivor Series 87. That's the second list that's going to make. Survivor- and he's got 90 and 91 as well in there. And also Starcade 86 and 85. That's good. Uh, people, you know, people are always kissing up to The Undertaker. It's fine. It's- <laughs> hey, Mike Flynn's got an interesting list here. He's got Survivor Series 97. That's a screw job. 2019, did, he loved did the that, NXT. Did that happen on Thanksgiving? <laughs> did not. He loved the We're not being a stickler for that. It was in the month of November. Oh, apparently not. <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> and uh, Survivor Series 2019, he loved the NXT part, which I agree, by the way. Uh, he's also got Starcade 83, Survivor Series 2002, and Survivor Series 87. NXT in 2019, that was the year that Adam Cole, 
and the era, and they were really pushing NXT hard. They actually got the better of SmackDown and Raw, and we really thought as fans for a minute, like, wow, they're really pushing NXT as yeah. the top. Yeah, I know they're on my list, and this is really <laughs> cool. It's really awesome to see where NXT is going, and this is going to be great for the WWE and the professional wrestling business. Now and it's nice. NXT now it's now. nice to reflect. Now it's nice to reflect with a tear in our eye. I watched. Usually, I skip. Raw, Monday Night Raw during the week. And Raw had a couple good matches lately this week when I watched it. So, other words, so I always skipped one wrestling show this week. It was NXT. Yeah. <laughs> that would never happen. It happened uh, now. Which is which is a damn shame. It really is. I, I watched NXT UK before I watched NXT. But one more list. I got Zach St. John. He's got Survivor Series 95. Personal favorite. Survivor Series 87. Survivor Series 96. Starcade 83, 85. And that personal favorite of his, that was also Bret Hart winning his third world title, which also didn't happen a lot back then. Besides Hogan, not many people got a third world title. And yeah, I, uh, I that remember that good. being a big deal. What's that? I said I remember that being a big deal back yeah, then. Yeah, and I mean... Now, now if you've got less than 10, you're not even in the conversation. Yeah, and, and but Diesel <laughs> looked like he was prone to be that next Hogan run, too. So that was definitely a big upset. AJ, what do you got for a list? And we'll try to figure out... Some of our favorite Thanksgiving wrestling cards. So, so I've actually got a Survivor Series, but I have Survivor Series 1988. That's actually the one with Savage and Hogan versus Bossman and Akeem, the yeah. African Dream. And they that's actually one of my favorite ones. I thought as a match, the main event was actually better than the first one. So, mm-hmm. And I remember that as a kid. That was their um, team, right? Because they had other people on those teams too, I imagine. Yeah, no, no, they had other people on the team. That yeah. was just... They were the um, headliners of the team. Exactly. Yeah. But the show also featured guys like Ted DiBiase, Jake Roberts, Harley Race, Mr. Perfect, Andre the Giant. I mean, one of his last good attempts. Owen Hart, with the, that was his first big event. Yeah. So so it, it was just one of my favorite cards from a historic listing. I also have NXT 2019. They tore the house down that year. It was one of the best just pure wrestling cards that you could see. The Undisputed Era was insane. They were undisputed and in yeah. this era. So that's good. So that's my number it two. It might be on another show soon. Yeah, yeah, it could be. That's uh, although Roddy's doing good on his own, so it'd be hard to actually pull him off. He's the last um, one we need. I mean, well, we do need O'Reilly, but I think O'Reilly's just around the corner. Yeah, that's uh, well, with what they're doing with him now, I don't blame him if they. If he you don't know, think he's doing real happy with Vandekip Fishsticks? Yeah, or yeah, ter- yeah, yeah, turning him into the next Skinner. That's great. <laughs> I do have another Survivor Series. I've got Survivor Series 1992. Just from a wrestling standpoint, I thought the wrestling was really good on it. That's the one with Perfect and Savage versus Ramon and Ric Flair. It's got the Undertaker versus Kamala in the casket match. It's get, yeah. it's just a good, fun, all-around one. I, I do like Savage and Perfect. I would recommend any fan look at Savage Perfect primetime wrestling yeah. and the way they told that story. The way they built uh, it up. Yeah. yeah, with him, like, you know, asking Perfect to be his partner. And then you see the crumbling of Flair, Razor, Perfect, and Bobby Heenan. And Bobby's so good in that, and he really made those segments. But yeah. And, and and the fact of the matter is it might have the best main event of any of the Survivor Series. The main event was Bret Hart versus Shawn Michaels for the Probably. World Championship. Yeah. So, so it, it's awful hard to beat that from a wrestling standpoint, in my opinion. And so that's my number three. I did put in Survivor Series 1990 just because how do you not have The Undertaker's debut mm-hmm. there? There are some negatives to that. Gobbly Gooker. But Undertaker went on a tear there, and it, it was a hell of a way to yeah. debut. And also, too, that is the first ever and only ever they had Ultimate Survivor Series, where the basically yeah. the finals of like babyface teams versus the final heel teams, where they all combined. Yeah, it took all the winners from the yeah. Yeah, the uh, winners, so, right? Yeah, so I actually enjoyed that one. And then my last one is actually it'd be really easy to say, you know, the original Survivor Series, but as I've already said, that one sucked ass. So I'm gonna go with 1985. The second time that it was actually Rhodes and versus Flair and nothing against Joe Frazier, but I like it when it's actually just a regular referee. And I love the storyline. 1985 is one of my favorite years in the NWA. They did such a good story between hurting Ole Anderson and all the feuds. And they literally built it up all year as to what was going on with the stuff with Baby Doll and how Iron Anderson and Tully Blanchard. And it, it, it just, they built all year to it. And the card ended up being absolutely sensational. Yeah, I would agree. It's interesting. I think me and you really look fondly upon that era of like Crockett in that 80s wrestling. But Basically, late 84 to me to late 86 
is the best time period for NWA. Right. In my opinion. But, but for me, it's like, it's, I don't know if it's because it's just a time period, but those cards, those mega wrestling cards for them, don't stick out on a whole for me because they would have a ton of matches. And I think just because I was also just getting my feet wet in wrestling, like I don't remember every single thing. And so the other problem was is they also were still doing a lot of territory. And I think we've talked about yeah. this in the past yeah. where when you did territory, you had to have matches that were specifically for different territories. So you'd bring in stars from territories that on a national level, that storyline didn't mean shit. But to those individual markets, like this, this 85 it takes place in Greensboro. Greensboro was very specific and they wanted to see their Jimmy Valiance. They wanted to see their Paul Jones. They wanted to see Paul Jones basically get his ass kicked because he was that heel in their market who they absolutely hated and couldn't stand. So while you had the horsemen at the national level and you had Dusty and you had Flair and you had the beginning of the Rock and Roll Express, stuff of that nature, unfortunately, you still had to have those territory guys in there. Yeah, absolutely. You know, when picking a list i feel like we've heard we heard survivor series 90 and 91 both thrown in there a lot people had the original 87 in there well, well this is a lot harder because you basically there. have five lists so it's yeah like- <laughs> i think i'm gonna throw starcade 95 as an honorable i'm gonna put them in the third spot just That's because i think it's cool that starcade should make the list you said 85 right 85 yeah, yeah. that was the dead yeah, the one you put yeah i'm gonna put that in there and then i think i don't know man i don't know how you go against, like, when I'm looking at these events, I really like that Undertaker beating Hogan in 91. Yeah, I, I like the 91 better than 90, and I like 85 yeah. better than 90, just from a Yeah, we can put the 90 point. Survivor Series on so, the third spot. So well, start getting well, yeah. I was going to say, here's a simple reason why. How many people remember the other matches other than Undertaker actually? And I know we do, but who else right. remembers the matches from 1990s? I mean, it's... Survivor the Gobby Gooker, it's yeah. the ultimate survival. Right. It's not yeah. like it's really, yeah. And I think it's just more for historical significance. Like, I just consider those cards very important because I consider that to be the Undertaker's well, legacy. Well, here's the other them. funny thing. The 1990 Survivor Series, a lot of people thought was going to be the debut of Ric Flair. They thought that the big surprise was going to be Ric Flair, not the Gobby Gooker. Yeah, I thought Ric Flair was going to come up the edge. Exactly. And then Flair actually ended up being the one responsible for the Undertaker winning the actual world championship in 1991 so it's a little irony there yeah and undertaker was worried that he was going to come out of the egg too he's now talked about it documentary. he's like ah. he's like Vince McMahon called me up and he said undertaker and he said it took me a minute i'm like well it's not Eggman. yeah i'm undertaker <laughs> <laughs> so, he knew so, what was up. yeah so i think we could definitely agree, agree that 1990 is the first one out even though it's the most pop one of the more popular ones for all right well I think we got a meeting to attend. It's the Thanksgiving week when this drops. Wait a minute, we didn't settle what number one was. Oh, we did. We Take did. Oh, oh, yeah. okay. I, I I moved Starcade eighty five to number two, and I dropped Survivor Series ninety to number three. Yeah, uh, uh, all right. If that's you agree, right? no. <laughs> <laughs> all right, fuck it. We can go on, bro. No, no, that's no, that's a, so I I I agree that it was great that the Taker won the belt and it was one of his crowning moments. He lost the belt a fucking week later. Yeah. <laughs> I mean shit. It's one of the worst transitions I've ever seen. What do you want to put as your number one event? 85. 85 season one. 85 started. <laughs> yes. It's a much better event. The build to it was all year. What was the build to the freaking Hogan and Undertaker? <laughs> You know, I'm not going to fight you too hardest. I don't give a fuck about these events if we're really going to be honest about it. Well, and, and that's <laughs> the problem. But, I don't really like these Thanksgiving wrestling cards that but, much. But I was going to say, I think that's why we didn't get a lot of lists is because nobody really gives a shit about Thanksgiving. I had to really stretch out just to make this fucking show. I, yeah, the only reason, yeah, the only reason I, I, I'm passionate about 85 winning is because, quite frankly, I like the NWA in 85 much better than I like 1990 WWE. Yeah. <laughs> Or 1991 WWE. Well, like an ex-wife, you wore me down. <laughs> Starcade 85 is your winner. Yeah. 91 is number two. And Survivor Series 90 is three. Fuck them. <laughs> Guys, this is not one of my favorite subjects. We will be back, though, with some great December lists that actually are meeting we're about to head to. That's going to be what we're talking about. We're coming out with December. And check our social media sites as we'll have some good wrestling stuff coming up for that. I can already tell you I got some ideas in my mind. Yep. I believe uh, actually just saw a thing for our meeting. So Wait till, wait till we do the Christmas cards. <laughs> 
really hate doing the Christmas, guys. Fuck them. All right. Working Fans Podcast. We're out. We want to take a minute to thank our newest sponsor on the show, 482 Designs. That is F-O-U-R, the number is 82designs, 482designs. You can find them on Facebook by looking up F-O-U-R, 82designs, at F-O-U-R, 82designs on Instagram. And if you want to email them, go to F-O-U-R, 82designs at gmail.com. Pretty soon, we're going to be rolling out some high-quality T-shirts and stickers that were just done by the sponsor. Please check them out for any of your screen printing needs. First off, it's a light years better than our first one. Also, like, the vibes of washer and dryer, they look good, and they're good quality. Nice. And those stickers before Paco chewed them up were amazing. And luckily, we'll be getting some more in, hopefully, before we start selling them to fans. But that's F-O-U-R-8-2 Designs. All right. Everybody, this is the Working Fans Podcast with a man called Dave. And today, I have a special guest. This man has been in the wrestling business for a while. He was the manager of Nikolai Volkov for a while. This is Nikita Beresnikov. And he is going to tell us about some of his experiences today in pro wrestling. Nikita, how you doing? I'm good, David. Hello, everybody. It's great to be heard. Because in <laughs> these times, I don't know what they're doing here in this USA, but man, the guy's got it screwed up. <laughs> man, yeah. It's all settled. It'd be ended. No problem. No shit, man. No shit. It's definitely, yeah. It's, it's nice just to be heard. Absolutely, man. I So my first question, I guess, is how did you... Get into this wacky business, man, pro wrestling. I'm going to steal Lou Gehrig's line. I'm the lucky son of a bitch on the face of the earth, man, because I was working for the police department, and I was a big tape collector, which I still am. Now it's, of course, DVD. And I saw a local promotion, Nikolai Volkov, was going to be doing a show. So I was working that day, so I thought, you know what? Maybe I talk to him. Maybe I can get a line on expanding my tape library. So. Long story short, we meet, we talk. He had nothing, but I had plenty, which I gave to him. And we became friends, very good friends, And because he was from Baltimore. That's okay. where he's buried in Baltimore County. And we just, we hit it off from there. I pestered him to death to get into the business, and he relented. I got into it, we did it, and we just, we gelled. We really did. And that's because of the chemistry. That right. friendship that was there, like he and she, you know, they had a great chemistry. It was just two guys that you just put them out there and the rest will work itself out. Now, were you a big fan before? I mean, you were tape trading. So what were you like? Yeah. What did yes. what were you what did you grow up on? What, what was some yes. of your now the guys you love? I know you're going to give me a minute to do this, but there's a segue. This yeah. when it was real, I wrote that because. It was, uh, I was, I came from a very severely abused home, both physical and psychological. And believe me, when people say psychological, that shit's true. It's not mm-hmm. just all in your head. When you get your father, who's supposed mm-hmm. to be a hero, when he's your monster, and you sit across, if you saw pictures of me as a teenager, I'd been a great art model because you could see ribs. I couldn't eat. You sit at the okay. table bastard and it's like you can't put food down and it's like wrestling was there for me and okay. television every week and when you went to that arena it was christmas you know it was just beautiful so the book is about us the fans it's not about me and what it meant to us and i call say when it was real because yeah from day one everybody it's this it's that but we could believe it and there was a lot of things like the blood you don't see blood anymore. They, they don't have that because most of the wounds, 99% of the time, were self-inflicted. And sometimes you'd bleed the hard way by, you know, you got a bad shot in the head or something. But, you know, you usually produce your own, but they don't do it anymore because of complications, medical this, and everybody yeah. a friggin' lawyer and suing. So it's like, you don't see it. And that's what proves that it was real back then because people yeah. actually said, you went to see a cage match. And we were like some kind of perverted, demented idiots, but we loved <laughs> if it was the right blood. If we right. saw our guy, the people that like Chief J. Strongbow, Bruno San Martino, Bob Backlund bleed, we were going to wait for you when you came out that night. And we did. 
and they would be showered with everything. Their cars, flat tires, all <laughs> because it was not just something you went and watched and then turned the television off. You lived it. You experienced mm-hmm. that. And th- that kind of passion. You know, today Vince McMahon has a whole friggin' staff. He's got all this mm-hmm. and all You can't make people care. You can't make people hate somebody or love somebody. They're either going to do it or they're not. And the, the magic back then, it was there. And I do call it magic. We were like kids that you turn loose in Disneyland. It's just like, when you weren't <laughs> alive, oh, man, nothing in the world was wrong. You were happy. Yeah, it's interesting the way you said that, too, like the realness of it, because you care. You care so much because, you know, you believe it's like what and it is. It is the magic, because I know like when COVID happened and they were doing those empty arena matches for a while where they had no fans and mm-hmm. I would watch a mixed martial arts event and it wasn't as bad because I'm rooting for the winner. I'm looking for the winner. But wrestling now that you're older, it's become more about, you know, the ambiance and the smoke and the mirrors and the show a little more. Because the magic is gone, and it kind of hit me. Like, I still love wrestling, but it's like COVID really kind of, you know, put a spotlight on that. Like, oh, yeah. Like, I'm not as invested in the outcome as, like, when I was a kid. You just wanted your guy to win so bad. And I'll tell you, David, I've been in many, like I said, I was policeman for 27 years. But I'm actor. I've been I've in person, the presence of so many different people, lawyers, doctors. Wrestling has touched so many people. And when you say martial arts, people from the martial arts world, they're always in awe. The old days, not this nonsense today. And I, I respect everybody, men and women. Right. It's, it's hard work. You've got to be dedicated. Mm. But today looks like big acrobatic. I, I was just on a podcast the other day with two old legends. And uh, forgive me, I don't mean to use that terminology in a derogatory way. They're old timers now, but it's like, don't understand what you're seeing because that's not how it went it's called wrestling not spotting and everybody's out spotting each other nobody sells anymore it's like you know you can get beat it's not a shame the guy was better than you maybe next time you win but Mm -hmm. sell the move don't jump up after he's done something that you're supposed to be carted off to the hospital sell the friggin thing make the guy look good that's respect and then Mm -hmm. next Maybe he'll make you look good, but today everybody's in a, in their own little thing. So it, it, it's, it's so it really shows. It is interesting. Yeah, Jim Ross said on a podcast recently, and I loved his work as an announcer. But I remember he was saying something about back in the day when he was doing talent relations. If you told him, "Oh, I can't lose to that guy clean or lose by his finish," that'll make me look weak. He says, "What you're telling me is you're not over enough in your own craft." to take his finish that's what you're telling me losing to somebody's finish clean shouldn't hurt you if you know how to do it no and the key always was when a big name would take a clean pin that meant they're leaving and they mm-hmm. they would leave the air back when it was territorial and right. they would trade talent you'd have some of your mainstays but for the most part it worked out the rotation worked beautifully somebody'd be gone for a year or two come back hey it's like a fresh start and and we're at it again with this person, so we loved it. Did you ever? Uh, this is kind of a little off subject, but I was just thinking about this. You said you and Nikolai were good friends. Did you ever work with uh, Evan Ginsberg? Did a radio show, I think, for a while. Evan's been a good friend for thirty years. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I interviewed him recently, and he talked about what a good friend he was for Nikolai too, and what a great man he was. You both said the same things. So I was kind of curious if you ran into some circles. So. Well, now you know Evan, of course, was producer, one of the producers of the movie The Wrestler. He yeah. brought Nikolai and I to sit down with Darren Aronofsky and Scott Franklin, the, one of the other producers. They won. The first time before he put pen to paper, anything was done about it. He said, what is this thing called wrestling? This is Aronofsky, because he had no idea. Met him up in New York and worked with the writer for a while there. And then they changed writers and went in different directions. But yeah, Evan, I got to know him. He called in on a talk show in Baltimore. I had nothing to do with that. <laughs> wrestling, not acting, nothing. I was just regular cop doing, just listening to a wrestling show on Saturday night. And they kept asking a question. Who was Bob Backlund's last opponent in Baltimore before he lost the belt to the Sheik? And everybody's calling up with Greg Valentine and Mass Super. It's like, no, 
I didn't want the stupid T-shirt. I said, look, I'm sick and tired of hearing all the wrong answers. It was Tony Atlas because he won the Battle Royal, so he got to wrestle back one. And it ended with a, it was like a draw. So, but I said, I want to talk to your guest because Evan was a guest that night. And he was telling people that this Hulk Hogan bullshit wasn't going to last. And I said, I, <coughs> Evan, and Jerry Moshenberg, who was a pretty good uh, local celebrity in Baltimore, he's like, you guys are out of your mind. You know what the <laughs> gate like? And it's like, but it's not every month like it used to be in Baltimore, New York, in Philadelphia, in Boston. Hogan would not appear every month because it was the same bullshit. Blah, blah, blah. Right. blah. Comes back, leg drop, boom, we're done. And how the hell are you going to put him in a match with Greg Valentine, which they tried to do in the beginning? And Greg Valentine's a great, just like this cover shot, one-hour draw with Backlund in the garden, February 19th, 1979. How the hell is he going to work with a big guy like that? It just didn't. And like Nikolai used to say, bullshit can get you to the top, but it cannot keep you there. And he said that people start feel sorry for the heels against Hogan because he'd kill everybody. He said, mm. It doesn't mean shit now. He's like Bruno. Bruno was like five nine, even though he was like a gorilla, but he was beating guys that towered over him. That gave it a good boost, a good push, and people could get behind. Hey, here's a guy like us, always fighting society and the boss and everything else, the wife. And it's like, man, here's a guy. He's got the same shit that we do, and he beats the odds, so we could get behind that. Not faster that crushes everybody. It's like, eh, now you yeah, know, the man is winning. You know, it's like, eh. and it's interesting. And you know what? It's interesting you said because in my mind, I'm thinking too. Like, I grew up earlier to a lot of stuff. Like, I right in that Hogan era. I was a kid though, right? I'm a kid, so I'm buying all this. But as I got older, I got very bored with the Hogan era. I wasn't interested. I started leaning towards guys like Bret Hart, Ric Flair. I started to have more appreciation for Kurt Henning, Mister Perfect. These guys that could, you know, bump around, put on these matches. But I would say that, you know what, maybe that was the reason why Hogan lasted so long. Because they started to market towards kids more, though, right? And the kids probably just bought right, we just bought it. <laughs> George the Animal Steel, hmm. he said it best. He said, when I was George Steele, I would look and people would run. And he ain't bullshit. We would right. run. We'd climb well, I was scared of George back. Yeah. But when he became the goofy gimmick, George Steele, right. he said, I did Great money with the merchant. He said, when we were selling lunch boxes mm -hmm. and popsicles, he said, I did great. I busted my ass every night. And because, you know, he was a legitimate teacher. Right. And a football coach up in uh, Madison, in Michigan, or, or uh, Madison, uh, Wisconsin, Madison, Michigan. And, uh, right. you know, it, it was tough, but he would rotate his schedule around school teaching and then he'd do wrestling. And he always gave you a good damn match, a good show. We love seeing George Steele against anybody. George Steele is like just watching the guy do whatever. It's amazing. But like he said, when they went stupid and went to a cartoon, he said, I made billions of dollars. So what the hell? Did great. Right. Well, not nearly, yeah. but you did good, you know. Yeah. Well, I mean, from that standpoint, too, how do you say no, right? I mean, you know, you make it's it To a regular money. guy like me, <laughs> sure. it's kind of paydays. It's like, son of a bitch, that's worth a million dollars to us. Mm -hmm. And Nikolai was like that. He did come from communism, from Croatia, in which the because he didn't want to do that bullshit gimmick. He said because they stole the family farm, you know, bastards would do this and that. But then Fred Blassie convinced him. Freddie said, Nikolai, now you can show people what those bastards were like. Plus, you can make a lot of money, you dummy. And he's like, <laughs> you're right. He did it. Because, you know, when he started in the 70s, he, it was all black. Black. Mm -hmm. well, with the Mongols, he had the fur, but black trunks, black boots, all the way up to 1984. Then they bring this shit, the red flag, all, you know, the red trunks, the red boots. Then he's the Soviet Nikolai Volkov. And it was okay. I liked the, the beginning of 84, but what people forget, it wasn't all Hulk Hogan. Sergeant Slaughter was going to town with the Iron Cheek, and then mm -hmm. And Nikolai and the Sheik as a tag team, and Roddy Piper and Paul Orndorff, that all was part of 1984, too. So Hogan was, it was good, the Rocky theme and all that was kind of neat, you know. And I was a little excited for a while, but then it was like, ah, this isn't my wrestling anymore. Mm -hmm. It's too different. Yeah, I thought he peaked after Andre as a fan. Like, you know, like after oh, that. Now, yeah. see, David, that, that was like repackaged. 
And this is how you can take bologna and give it to somebody and tell them you got a nice mm. steak. He and Andre had a good run in 1980 and 81. Mm. And he slammed Andre at the right. at the Shea Stadium. It's like, that was no big friggin' deal. And I mean, it's great. It's pretty tough to do. But, you know, this thing they make, oh, Andre's never been slammed. That's bullshit. Your own history will show that within your own tape collection. Right. But. You know, because uh, Stan Hansen slammed him, Blackjack Mulligan, many other people. And they say uh, Maeda slammed him. No, I don't know. No, Maeda beat his ass in Japan. I don't think Maeda ever slammed because he was a smaller. He was a good martial. He was like a Bruce Lee. And uh, you wouldn't mess with that guy. Kind of like Mr. Saito. Mm. You know, Mr. Saito was like, you could look at him. You could see he's constipated. Don't don't <laughs> even, don't talk to anybody. <laughs> take you out. Yeah. When, when did you start managing? 95. 95. Now, and you were part of the Heroes of Wrestling pay-per-view. Yes. Yeah. How was that for you? I know everybody kind of remembers Jake the Snake and everything, but how was that night for you? And- but, you know, when the bastards say that, and the, Evan Ginsberg and I, because Evan started out with a newsletter. It was a yep. fanzine called Wrestling Then and Now, and then went to a talk show format. And he gave me a voice on that. And it's like, it's like going to Yankee Stadium and booing. Why would you do that? These guys are not in their prime. What the hell did you expect? This was supposed to be another thing on the menu. It's like, okay, you're going to watch today's stars. Enjoy that. But here's like what somebody called a seniors tour of wrestling. That would have been great. But then the Jake the Snake thing and pirated uh, DV or pirated the cable, the poor guy, Bill Stone, who was the, the main money man, because I flew back to D.C. with him because I'm going to Baltimore and he's going to D.C. And he was just like, I don't know, man, this is a big headache. And then the other shit hit the fan. And then it was like, but I for me, it was a, just a great, wonderful experience. And everybody sure. loved it. And mm-hmm. Paul Bear was there. He came to, you know, check out everything and say hi. And so it was great. It could have really developed, but I think the guys that make the money, the sheet guys, which I don't give two shits for, I have no respect for, they make the money off the back of these men and women, but yet you badmouth something like that. I mean, come on. You should mm-hmm. just say, hey, look, they got out there, they gave the best they could. I mean, my God, one man gang and Abdul the Butcher, it was a bloodbath. Yeah. They poured it out. You know, it's like, come on, man, here they are. They're trying. That's all. All anybody can ask of you is to try and give everything you've got. However, it turns out, it turns out. But, yeah. It is interesting. Yeah. People tend to contradict a negative. Like, I remember some stuff about that. They're like, Tully Blanchard cut a hell of a promo and was still, you know, like, it was like, man, Tully could still go. <laughs> you know, when people say it's the worst pay per view of all time, it's like, I love that because I come from the world of acting as well. I'm a union actor. And as long as they're talking about you, it's good. And that would have its own magic to say it's the worst pay-per-view of all time. But there's no way. I've seen some shit over the oh, years. Yeah. Like, you got to be kidding me. That friggin' cartoon, that stupidity, <laughs> get out of here. Oh, man. You know, so I was talking to somebody today. They were talking about an episode of SmackDown last night. I was, I'll show you where I'm going with this. They did this pull apart with Brock Lesnar and Roman Reigns. And a friend of his texted. He goes, is that? that actually happening like what's you know like and they go up and like i said and i was looking at it and because these two guys they're a little bit different from the other cartoon guys right like brock has that legitimate background so the way it was portrayed i'm like i know better you know i've been watching this stuff since i'm four years old and you know obviously i think other people but i'm like oh so there's still like if you're a casual fan if it's done right it hit me in the head there is still like even in today's market that they don't know it looks a little different and the reason why I bring that up, because in 95, it's still not quite like today, right? There's still more, I want to say, even though the internet's starting to come out, there's still more of a belief in what everything that's going on, right? And the character you're portraying, I imagine that there must have been some times where you had some incidents with fans, yeah. maybe things got a lot heated. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious about some of that. <laughs> yes. There was a guy in, uh, it was uh, Pennsylvania. We were, believe it or not, it was an ice skating rink. And over the years, you weren't always at Madison Square Garden. That would be like the Black Friday of the company. And then the Boston and Baltimore, that's where they would make the big money. But in the between, during the week, you'd hit high schools, ice, like uh, 
in New York or in Brooklyn, it, there was Ice World, and they would have regular shows there, even in the summertime. Of course, no rink or anything, but so we're doing a show there, working with uh, a local guy, Kid USA. He was the stunt double for Mickey Rourke in the movie The Wrestler. I can't believe nobody ever picked him up over the years. He had a hell of a great gimmick with the Kid USA. But anyway, we're having a pretty good match, so I'm doing my thing at ringside. And this guy, he looks up at me and he says, UMF, I'm going to get you. I'm going to wait for you. I'm a Green Beret, and nobody spits on this country. I said, ah, I had your mother last night. Go take a walk. She said I was good. <laughs> you know, and this guy's starting to cook, right? So, I don't think nothing of it. So I'm getting ready to go to the parking lot. I'm like, oh, shit, Nikolai, there's that bastard. He's a Green Beret. He's like, i see you later. I'm going to go put the shit in the car. I said, you bastard, where are you going? So this guy, he's coming up. He's ready for business. Said, whoa, 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 buddy. Whoa, whoa. I dropped the accent that said, show my badges and look, I'm on your side. I'm policeman. This is all entertainment. He's like, no shit. You fooled me. I said, good. That's the whole idea. Supposedly, right. you're bad. <laughs> Pouring out, it's the greatest catharsis before 9 11. Nikolai and I would do more for patriotism in 15 minutes than any of these bullshit politicians could do for 10 years because. It brought the people together, the USA and all that stuff. It's like, that's great. That's good. To be in an arena and have them uh, throw shit at you and spit and things like that. Right. We did a thing in uh, Virginia one time with Ivan Koloff and Nikolai as a tag team. Poor Ivan, though, it was like, he said, listen, tomorrow I'm going to manage to work Nikolai as a team. He said, I, I've been out of this too long. I said, all right, we, it's a deal. It's tough. People don't realize when they say that F word, there's nothing fake about wrestling. There's, it's got its mystique. It's got, yeah, it's got its outcomes. You got to keep control of it or it's going to be all over the board. But there ain't a damn thing fake about it. And right. take a look at some of the old timers' foreheads from the scars. It's like, mm -hmm. that shit's not fake, man. Please don't disrespect people with that word. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, look at Mick Foley missing part of his ear, his hip, and some of the stuff. It's just crazy. And I always say that too. Like, I mean, it's a different kind of toughness. You're like, okay, you, you can be a boxer and you can be an MMA guy. You have this too. But do those guys want to fall down on their back? They want to get slammed down constantly or, you know, it's a different kind of tough. Yes. i tell you, there was a guy named Cal Rudman, who's a philanthropist in Philadelphia area. He was a, a disc jockey and things like, he was good friends with Vince, but he was doing the color for the Spectrum shows on the Prism Cable Network back in okay. the 80s, and Dick Graham was doing the commentary. And he had actually gone to medical school at one time, and Cal Rudman said, all of my training, all of my knowledge goes against everything I'm witnessing with these guys. He said, they, they must be Klingons from another planet <laughs> or something, because there's no way the human body, the impact of the kidneys and the organs, it's like, it just cannot absorb this kind of punishment, yet I'm watching it, and I know in a couple of days, if not tomorrow, they'll be back at it again. It's not like boxing where you take three or four or five months off to recover from the trauma. And see, that's another thing with the poor boxers. Now, I got to meet uh, uh, Chuck Wimpner over the years. Yep. He's the guy that dropped Ali. Mm -hmm. And I had never, I always thought Ali was the greatest without a doubt, growing up in the 70s. I think the 70s was the greatest sports era of all time. But when I took a look at Wepner, that fist, because there's a picture, he's got his arm around my shoulder, and that fist, the hand is there, and I was like, son of a bitch, that's as big as my head. Glover, not that <laughs> bastard hit you. How did Ali get up? Just yeah. get off the canvas. And, oh, <laughs> you got to be the greatest. That's unbelievable. So, yeah, I mean, the, the trauma, the pinpoint hemorrhaging, mm. it's like even pro football. Right, wearing a helmet, but that brain is just taking. Because my wife, she's a brain tumor survivor, and I learned a lot about it from that. It's like you can't take that abuse. Kids should not be doing football. Kids in high school, they should wait because it. You're believe it or not, even at that age, your skull's not really fully developed. Give them maybe another three, four, five years, and then you can maybe take that pounding. But helmet or not, that brain is getting battered around. It's just, mm. yeah, it's it's a it's a rough life, man. 
Yeah, yeah. And being on the road, like Nick, uh, Evan's uh, 350 days on the road, that's true. It's like yeah. a lot of divorces because it's just hard. And then you're, you're estranged from the kids. The kids don't know who you are. And then they look at you like you're a piece of shit. And it's like, yeah, but you're putting the money on the, the bread on the table. That's what you chose as your living. And you have to respect that. I'll ask you one more thing. We're going to get into your book and say, I want one more thing. I'm kind of curious because you've done some acting and stuff too. I hear that from a performer standpoint with pro wrestling, because you're working directly with that crowd. So the high, I feel, has got to be a little, you know what I mean? Like it's, I mean, it's different, right? I mean, what are some of the, the differences? Well, I actually had an argument with a woman one time who was our dialogue coach on a movie called Brush with Danger. And she's a pretty good Hollywood uh, bigwig at the time. And she was big in the theater. So she's getting to know me, trying to help me and everybody do our bits. And she's like, well, so Nikita, what's your theater experience? I said, well, it's pro wrestling. And she's like, that's not theater. I said, wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> In fact, a good friend of Evan and mine, Jeff Archer, wrote a book, Theater in the Squared Circle. And it's like, that's what it is. We're before a live crowd. If you screw up the finish, you're dead. you got to be able to portray that message and touch people. Mm. That's what we're doing. She didn't want to buy it, but it's like, no bullshit. It is. That is theater, without a doubt. Because right. definitely know who the good guy is, who the bad guy is. And the reaction <clears throat> you can't make that happen. It's going to, if they don't naturally feel it, they'll just sit there all night and like in New York where it's the toughest and they'll say boring or they'll chant bullshit. Mm -hmm. like, yeah. But, you know, it's funny. You talk about the differences. There's some actors that even just within a crew, it's like not a close set, but that's all that's there. You, the other actors in the crew, they still get nervous with the camera on. And it's like, what the hell? What are you doing here? Mm -hmm. You know, that's why I say kids are the best actors. Because they believe what they're doing. They're put on a little performance for the family. Mm. You can't tell that kid they're not whatever they're trying to be. It's like, that's the whole key. The great Stanislavski, who a lot of people rip off over the years and say they're the great acting coach, but he was from the Moscow Art Theater. That's what you got to do. And Nikolai used to tell me, he said, you don't believe it. Nobody else going to believe it. So mm. if you don't want to do this shit right, go sit down. But if you do, and you put everything in it. And that's how it worked. It's like my name. One time my brother-in-law said, how do you how do you work with two names? How do you, I, said, I don't know. You just do. My birth name is like foreign to me now. I'm Nikita more than anything else. Yeah. You just, you learn to get an ear for, especially a name like that. And I, like I'm being Joe or Bob or somebody else. That's like, you know, you just get lost in the crowd. That stands out. So it's like, and then with Nikolai Nikita, people would call me Nikita, Nikolai, call him Nikita. It's like, we did that on purpose one day. It's like, we go, Nikolai, <laughs> the comedian. And I tell you what, that's another thing. Like Stanislavski used to say, not the Three Stooges, who are great, but you put some comedy in all you do. And that goes over bigger mm. than, and people remember it. It doesn't always have to be like bloodletting or grim, horrible tales. You put a little comedy in things and it works nice. That's pretty cool. I, yeah, your book. I do want to get into that because I'm okay. interested. You have a book. How Scott did you get Teal, involved? The master, Scott Teal from yes. ProBarPress.com, where you can get this. Or it's on the net on Amazon, but that's only the Kindle version, which is fine. But what I really like about this, and I didn't even know Scott was going to do it, these ads that appeared in the newspaper. It's full. That's what this book is. It's only $20, people. I mean, you can't even go to friggin' McDonald's for 20 bucks anymore if it's more if you're going to get a halfway decent thing, but it's packed with passion. It's almost 300 pages of, it's not this day in history, which I had a hard time selling Scott on that because he didn't want to get into that. But when I gave him my concept of it's a fan's point of view and what it meant to us, each incident, just, I don't think I've missed anything from the 70s. And that's what this covers, 1970, the 79 in the Worldwide Wrestling Federation and how it interacted with our lives and like when spiros arion i don't know if you know that name but that was mm -hmm. huge in 1974 when he turned on the chief and bruno at the same time in a tag match against the valiant brothers it was like oh yeah the valiant brothers oh yeah, yeah jimmy and johnny with lou albano ah it was just 
it was a different world. You can't, ex- it's like when they, the saying you try to tell a stranger about rock and roll, it's like the wrestling in the 70s. Mm-hmm. You had to live it. it. You, If you were lucky to be a part of it or go to arenas and things like that, you had the world, man, without a doubt. It, it, because mm-hmm. it was a magical world. It really was. And then the early 80s, like a lot of people talk about Bob Backlund. Oh, well, you know, they had to pad the card. No, they didn't pad the card. Go look at the tapes. When he beats the Iron Sheik at the time, it was great Hussein. When he beats Greg Vell, when he reversed the figure four leg lock in the mm-hmm. guard, I mean, the roof came off, spun around, and landed back. That didn't, that wasn't anything other than Bob Backlund. He wasn't Bruno. He was Bob Backlund. And me, as a fan at that time, mm-hmm. loved him for that. So, Absolutely. yeah, what, to me, I'm not getting rich off of this, and that's not why we did it, because Scott Teal said we preserved the history. And to me, this was a payback to the people that were there for me when I was being abused. I turned on the television. And when I entered their world, they still didn't let me down because they could have just said, hey, go learn on your own, kid. That's your." But they embraced me and they helped me because I could have ended up a cripple at any time because this is some serious stuff that's done in that ring. You step inside that squared circle, good luck to you because you don't know what the finish will when you come out. You just don't know if you'll survive or not. Awesome, man. I really do. I appreciate and respect that. Keeping the history. I think that's an awesome thing. Not just for pro wrestling, but for a lot of stuff out there. That's a great idea. Now, in closing, do you maybe any advice for people trying to enter pro wrestling, acting, or just chasing something you love? Any life advice? Put your heart and soul into it. My motto is good is the enemy of great. A lot of people say, oh, it's good enough. No, no, no. Be great. Do strive to be great. Do more. It's just like if you want to be a good hitter, stay in that batting cage. Take extra batting practice. Acting, you're going to have to just keep at it. Memorization is the hardest part. I hate that shit. It's like being in school again. Mm-hmm. But I got to know what the hell you're going to say so I know what I got to say, what I'm going to say. And it's like, oh, yeah, that's so tough. But you got to practice at it. And to hit the marks and things like that, you just, if you want to be good and then you want to be great, because that's what's going to separate you from everybody else. Be great. You just got to stay at it. Put your heart and soul into it. But respect the people that are making you just like a crew. You can't make a movie without the crew. You got to work with a partner in a wrestling match, whoever's going to respect the people around you. Great advice. Now, is there any social media you have you want to plug to? Facebook. That's the biggest thing I'm on. Nikita Brezhnikov. If you have followers in common, yeah. I, you got to be careful today. I get a lot of things from like these single or from women. And it's like, you see, uh, no friends in town. You never know what the hell. It's like, no, no, I ain't touching that shit. So it's <laughs> like, I have multiple friends or uh, I can see that somebody that's reasonable and good. Sure. I'm wide open. Look, nobody. And I've met a lot of big stars over the years and they were always nice people. We all go through the same shit. Nobody gets out alive. So nobody is better than anybody. Just we're all in this together. Great words. Nikita Brusnikov, thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure. That's for Daniel. All right, so that wraps us up for this week. Thank you again for listening to the Working Fans Podcast. So as always, you can find us on Twitter at Fans Working. Our Facebook page is Working Fans Wrestling Pod. We have email where you can reach out to us and let us know what you think also. That's Working Fans Wrestling Pod at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram, Working Fans Wrestling underscore pod. And then as always, please continue to listen to us on anchor.fm. Google Podcasts, Spotify, Breaker, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, all your major platforms. If you're following us on Apple Podcasts, which we are also on now, and YouTube, please make sure you subscribe and give us a five-star rating. It helps us bring you these podcasts where we get to talk to you and talk with you every week. 